Welcome to CA Today from the Instructional Support Team at CA BOCES. Thank you for taking your professional development to the next level by tuning in and joining us. Whether you're a teacher, administrator, or educational professional, we're happy you're listening as we share insights and stories from around the region. If you're interested in what you're listening to, more information on this episode can be found in the show notes. Welcome to CA Today. I'm Sarah Cartmill, your host. I am a staff developer and curriculum coordinator with Cataraugus Allegheny BOCES. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with my former university professor, Dr. Denny Wilkins, who works in the Jandoli School of Journalism and Mass Communication at St. Bonaventure University. We dove into the evolution of writing, We talked about changes in learning how to digest and write about news. And we talked really about some going back to basics. He references one of his favorite classes and most useful tools was typing to the pace of music, learning how to take those keyboarding skills into the work profession. So I was just thinking about how when I came into college, I had handwritten everything, including notes, whatever you'd say. (laughs) And then when we had to type, I was like, oh, cool, my thoughts are coming out, like, automatically, I can type what I'm thinking. And now with particularly post-COVID, even my own son noticing the disconnect from thoughts to writing because they're stuck on the keyboard, like they don't know how to actually manipulate the keys, so there's not that fluent. Well... One of the things that I do in every course on the first day is I say, I want you to go to typingtest.com. And there's a typing test there. I said, take the medium text one minute and then give me your words per minute. And it's atrocious. It's just atrocious. I have kids who can't type more than 30 words a minute. And when you came in here, we actually had a minimum words per minute requirement of 35 words a minute. So it impedes them in a couple of ways. First, they can't take adequate notes. And because they're not touch typing, they're doing leakopola and looking at their keyboard rather than what's on the screen or me. Because being able to type while you're watching the person speaking is an extraordinarily valuable skill. And the other thing is, because they can't type fast, they miss stuff. They can't, I mean, you know how slow I talk, and I talk even slower now, (laughs) especially in a class. And I even wait after I've spoken a sentence for a few seconds for them to catch up, and they don't. And I try to teach them, listen, if you can type as fast as I can talk, you get more data on a screen that you can manage. Further, you get more data that you can examine and ask questions about. And you get more data in which you detect holes that you can ask questions about. And I said, you also have to be able to take notes by hand. Because the day will come when you walk into someone to interview 
and you'll automatically put down your phone to record it, and the guy will throw you up, <laughs> which I've done three times this semester. How's that going with the handwriting the notes? <laughs> well, that's the other thing. I says, in our business, there's going to be times when you're interviewing someone, and that person will refuse to allow you to record it, mm -hmm. and you're going to be stuck writing by hand. And you're, you know, nobody's teaching penmanship anymore. And I says, you've got to find a way. You've got to practice. Because you do not want to be in a position of not being able to at least have a code, a shorthand. Because how are you going to manage writing by hand, thinking about a question to ask, and listening to what the person has to say all at the same time? Right. So they are deficient in ways to get data in a usable form, either digital or analog. Do you feel like, um, is there a difference because of technology in terms of what you're seeing them come in with skill-wise, like the instant gratification, wanting an answer to something, rather than asking the questions we had to ask? Like They have... Mine's like goldfish. <laughs> Seven second memory, in a sense. But the others, I also give the typing test on their phones. And most of them are slightly faster on their phones than they are the keyboard. Interesting. Yeah. Text, text, talk, and practice, I suppose. Yep. So what are you noticing? Like when, so when freshmen come into the program, it used to be... What did we start with? Didn't we start with a writing assessment? Well, what you, what you had in your freshman year is what I now teach in the sophomore year. Okay. Yeah, because after, I guess it was in your senior year, we made dramatic changes in the curriculum. And now we have two introductory courses, the first two writing courses. And in one sense, we're trying to figure out how to teach them because we're aware of their deficiencies and we're trying to make up for what they didn't get. And for a while, a couple of years, we used this program called EGUMP. Um, and ironically, it's built the same way as English 3200, a book I used as a 14-year-old freshman that taught me almost everything I know about language use. And it didn't work very well. Students hated it. And we tried to spreading it out over two courses instead of just one. And so we've bagged that, and we're trying to figure out a way to do it ourselves. And I sent everybody a list that I sent to all of my students. Here are the top 20 most common writing errors in basic news writing. And I'm waiting to hear anybody agree that okay, let's teach two of these in the first week and three of these in the second week, so on and so forth. But identification of what they're missing for the purposes of their major is an incredibly important task. Even if you're a, a teacher of high school freshmen, identifying what they didn't get in grade school so that you can piece together an actual concrete operational plan it's just as important to that person it is to me. Right. What are you finding you had to change over the years or adjust because of one, computers, and two, more and more internet and smartphone, because that wasn't around 
when you started? Well, I have to teach them over the course of their full sophomore year in both courses that this is a professional tool and there are ways to use it effectively. That's one thing that's changed. But I think when I look at teaching basic writing now, it's not so much a function of technology. It's a function of the education they got or didn't get before they got here. And it's also a function of they, since they don't read, they don't see the power of words and go, oh, I could do this with words. Instead, they consume visual images. Mm -hmm. They make visual images out of an item. They're not creating something with a sense. I started two years ago. I says, I challenge you. I said to my fall semester freshman, I want you to write one sentence every day that has nothing to do with your schoolwork. Just one. And then write another one the next day, the best sentence you ever could. And maybe you'll see something common among them and they start to grow into something. And if you do that, show me. No one's ever come back. No kidding. No. Wow. No one's ever come back. Well, it's interesting. We talk a lot about the sentence work, like getting kids to the sentence level of stringing together words and combining sentences. And I wondered how that, it seems like now we're going back to that after, this is what I remember in grade school, <laughs> sort yeah. of that full circle to getting back to pencil to paper. and. Yeah, uh, for several years now, They walk in, they sit down, and this is how I call the roll. Ms. Cartmill, please name the eight parts of speech. What? <laughs> and then I ask, what is a noun? And when they do answer, they say this. A person, place, thing, or idea. I said, no, that's wrong. And I move on. What? Because they forget that it's the name of a person, place, or thing. And the ability to name something is power. And then define syntax. What is a sentence? Distinguish between the clause, et cetera, et cetera. And I got a whole list of these things. Um, and sometimes I have small classes I go through twice. Rarely do I get a right answer. And I point out to them, this is the first day of class, that it is the expectation of the James Otis School, that you know these things when you walk through the door. Further, I talk in a very precise language about writing. And I said, you need to work on this. And so, the second class day comes. They walk in, and I sit down and say, um, there's Carmen, please name the eight parts of speech. I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't have time to, to look that up. And I turned to my computer. There it is on the screen in seven one hundredths of a second. Yeah. And and I really let him have it after that. And well, in that instant gratification world, like you said, they yeah. set their fingertips in yeah. less than a second. Well, I've had to when when you took this course, you're used to news. You read news. 
And so I could do these mock press conferences and not have to explain a whole bunch of things like what is a headline, what is a league, that sort of thing. And, and I didn't have to walk you through every sentence a word at a time. I go through, I started with 32 students. And right now I'm down to 27 because five bailed. Four, I told before the withdrawal rate, that math doesn't look with you. They're going to fail. And so routinely I lose 30 to 35% of the students in my fall semester course. Do you think like news consumption, because it is all online and, you know, unfortunately newspapers are consolidating and now... Not oh, there's so, many, there's, there's so many reasons. Yeah. There's so many reasons. And they go to places um, and they don't have the tools to assess what they're reading. So that's a whole different issue. But now, I teach by verbs. Mm -hmm. I says, okay. okay. I, I do the press conference and they ask questions and they get stuff and I says, okay. I want you to think only in terms of past tense verbs right now. And I want to make a list of these verbs that you plan to use in the story. And I write them on the board, we talk about them, and I said, no, you get the right verbs, you put them in the order that they make sense, and you put stuff to the left of the verb and the right of the verb. That worked for a while, and then it didn't. And now I have to, as I did last week, I go through every sentence, word for word, and they don't write it down. They don't write it down. And a lot of it is, and I accused them of this phrase, inattentive note-taking. I, I misspell names. I spell names several times, clearly and slowly, completely. The and one now, mistake I have, one, one paper I ever failed <laughs> yeah. was a misspelled proper name. But do you think there are, are there benefits and good things about this? change you've seen over what 30 years now in terms of what they can do benefits of technology yeah it makes it makes the work process assuming they can type well and accurate I talked to them about accuracy in typing because I says what do you think you need to be judged on in a communication field it's going to be your productivity and the more efficient you are and that means typing 70 words a minute instead of 35 words a minute with 100% accuracy. Because every time you have to backspace to fix something, it's costing you time. Mm -hmm. It might not seem like much, but over time it breaks your concentration, it interrupts the flow of what you're trying to write. Yeah. So productivity and probably um, I see at least with well, I say younger, they are much younger than me, but able to access information quicker and know kind of what's out there, I guess, more so than my generation, I suppose. Yeah, but they don't have intellectual assessment tools. And they, theoretically, in our students, they like curiosity. Mm -hmm. And one thing I, I talk to them about is, listen, your best ideas are going to come out of your own lived experience. But you people, 
are doing a really poor job of being aware of your lived experience. You think because of this? Well, because of the phone? In part. Yeah. Um, but I says, you're walking around with this in your hand and these in your ears. You're not hearing what's around you. And when I talk to people who are going into some form of journalism, I said, listen, you have to be able to walk into a crowded room where it's noisy and be able to hear, to single out a voice 10 feet away amongst all the voices because it's important that you hear what that person's saying. Mm -hmm. And I said to them one day, how many of you go to the library a couple of times a week? Most of the people raise their hands. I said, can you tell me who designed the library and when it was built? No. Curiosity piece. So their observational skills are weak. Their situational skills are weak. And it is it is frustrating. Yeah. And it's worse in the spring because students don't talk. So they don't risk. And they're afraid of failure. They're afraid of being shamed in their view and from the peers. So the <laughs> the final exam I give in all my courses is basically this. What'd you do well? What didn't you well? What are you going to do about it? And last fall, five students wrote about why they didn't talk in class. And I lifted those out, and I made an overhead of them. And in the first day of class this year, it says, I want you to look at this. It says, this came from you, in a sense, a year ago, about why you're not talking to class. And some of these things are very eloquent, but basically it was fear. Even in the press conferences, if I have at one point 13 students room, maybe three are asking the questions and everybody else is floating on that. Yeah. And I noticed a shift about 10 years ago with my own high school students in being less apt to um, take steps to do something independently and more apt to ask, is this what you want? Is this right? Is this okay? And then when I would ask an open-ended question in class, they were super quiet. All of a sudden, over like a course of maybe a two or three year span, very like afraid to offer an opinion and there was no right or wrong answer. Yeah. What do you think that is? I don't know. <laughs> I remember when Lee was te teaching media ethics, you know, we team taught it. And one thing Lee had always said, and uh, he said, here are three words you cannot use in this course. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And everybody would say, we'd, we'd, we'd throw out an ethical situation, say, what are you gonna do? And someone would say, I, I don't know, I'm sorry. You have to answer, because you're gonna have to make the decision. So you can't say, I don't know, in the middle of deadline. Right. It's interesting because I do find that risk-taking risk has shifted and Whereas you'd have students shout out answers and offer opinion, they're more and more hesitant to be wrong. And I don't know, I guess that like, um, I don't know, the fear of failure, the fear of being wrong, but sort of that learned helplessness yeah. has affected, I know, I notice in writing, well, you think about writing, you're taking a risk, right? A lot yeah. of times we're asking students to share something. 
some of the times it's personal. Sometimes it's, you know, we want them to kind of step out of their comfort zone a little bit, but I just wonder what the, what the mentality is behind that. Well, it took me from the first week in August to maybe last week to break them of a habit. And the habit is when they came, you know, they don't come to office hours. Last fall, there were so few people coming to office hours. I wrote the first draft of my third novel in office hours, 46,000 <laughs> words. But I said they, they come in and they hold off their story. And they always call it a paper, and I keep saying it's a story. Right. And I said, would you look this over? And I tell them this. When you say, would you look this over, what, this is what the professor is hearing. Would you find out my stakes and fix them so I don't have to? Right. And I said, I'm not going to do that. You have to be able to self-assess, and I teach you that, and if you didn't take notes on it, puff. And now they're starting to say, I have a few questions. And I, if they at least ask one question, then I'll go through other stuff. So they're, they're starting to be more self-aware and curious of their own writing, but would you say since from August to now, really? Yeah. So explicit instruction of how to be <laughs> curious and self-aware of your own writing. Yeah, and it'll be much more difficult in the spring um, because when you took the equivalent of what I teach in the spring, I used to require four 1,000 to 1,200 word feature stories with rewrites. And now it has shrunk to three 700 to 800 word stories with rewrites. And I've had to take the quizzes I do in the fall and continue them in the spring. Because everybody's fucking failing these quizzes. That's right. why these five people drop. They didn't pass a single quiz. And if they have more passing grades than failing, failing grades and passing grades, they automatically fail. You have to give me a list with contact information and the date of the interview of at least 25 people you interviewed. And they freak. <laughs> and they also have to do a very precise pitch of their stories, which requires early interviews to assess whether the story has some meat on it. And for the first three weeks, I'm coaching them through the deer in the headlights look. Yeah. And it gets hotter and hotter and hotter. And then when they get into interviews, they basically turn into tape recorders. They really ask follow-up. They go over the list of questions, and I say, that's when I shot the date. Okay, and, and how's your new car? <laughs> right. Do you find there's been, well, obviously there's been growth because you said you're now shifting, kind of going back to the basics, but so from August to now, um, do you feel like that sets them up to start to understand how that growth process is going to work? Like you're going to have to start asking questions about your writing and understand asking questions to a human face-to-face -face is a piece of that. So that language piece and the social skills. For many possibly most. I don't think so. And part of it is they have an aversion to a four-letter word, W-O-R-K. Yeah. And I outline, this is exactly what the word entails. And they don't... And one of the problems 
uh, because they're one, afraid to ask questions, two, they're unsure what kind of questions to ask despite my early training of them. They can't picture something. They can't, because they didn't ask the right questions, they don't get the description of something or someone right. or an event. So the words they use, no reader is going to understand. So part of that observational skill or the lack of is embedded in them so deeply. How do, and then where do we go from there? <laughs> I have no idea. I just keep doing what I do and I teach to the people who want it, want to be taught. Right. But if they take one step towards me, I'll take the other nine. But so many don't take the first step. Yeah, again, I wonder if it's that just fear of being, being out of the comfort zone and not knowing how to, how to approach things. Well, the social skills are part two, right? Yeah. Oh, here's one thing you're gonna love. They come out on the first day and I'm doing those questions. And I come to a guy wearing a hat and I say, after his question, I say, what do you gain by wearing a hat in the classroom? He says, nothing. He says, what do you lose? And they're looking at me. And every other hat in the room comes off. <laughs> but nobody comes up and asks me, what did you lose? Hmm. You see, they have to learn to appreciate audiences in so many ways. Fast. Interesting. So it's just, oh, we'll do it, but there's no asking why. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, and, and particularly we're noticing, you talked about audience, the task audience and purpose of writing is still such a huge thing that needs to be explicitly taught because that other pieces, like you said, that even if they're writing a news story, if they don't have the details, it's not going to make sense well, to the reader. Look at the look at this from another way. We have seven majors, um, and they all know that this program is built on writing, and even people who go into broadcast or PR and advertising, there's going to be writing involved mm -hmm. in some shape, way, or fashion. And there were days when I say, could you please tell me why you became a journalism major or a stratcom major or a broadcast major? Oh, I want to get the word out. This is what do you mean? And I try to get them to see that what I'm trying to do for them is to allow them to get the word out. Right. <laughs> it's, it's odd this that, is the vehicle. that they've chosen these majors. And it might mm -hmm. be because no other major think I could do math. I didn't think I could do biology. Interesting. Well, it all, now everything involves writing. I mean, they're talking with science more hands-on and being the scientist and creating investigations. And yeah. how do you approach an investigation without asking a question? Well, this, this problem with the writing skills throughout the university, history, sociology, political science, economics, all of them. Do you think COVID played a big role or do you think that yeah, it was already? I do. I do, but I have no evidence other than what I'm seeing in these kids. Right. Did you see a shift previous to COVID? Yes. Okay. 
Yes. For me, I, I go back to 2008 when I started seeing things that made me wonder. And that was a very stressful time in many households. Yes. For a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, oh, the housing bust. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And smartphone evolution. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you think that kind of going back to basics is helping and getting them to go out and I ask have no questions? place else to go. Yeah. They don't have it. And, and what makes me frustrated is they didn't get it here, they didn't get it here, they didn't get it here, and they come to me. The last stop before they go into upper division courses. Right. Where they have to be precise. And it's like, I got to make up for middle school and high school. So I go back, basically when I'm teaching, I learned when I was 14. Right. Do you think technology has played a role impeding them asking questions, reading, enhancing vocabulary? Absolutely. Yeah. For example, I I'm going to be teaching 13 sports media majors in the spring. They watch ESPN every day. Comma splices in the bottom. Line that I see every day. Right. They see misspellings. They see poor writing. And every now and then I find an ad that really is embarrassing. Like bring it in short. You can't make this kind of mistake. Right. And when they refuse to talk, I always tell them this. I says, listen. This is a place where you're being, you're paying to take risks because mistakes teach you. And if you can't learn to deal with me, here's your problem. You're in your first job. You go to your first staff meeting and the boss comes in and says, listen, we got a new potential client. We got to put a proposal together for the client. I need ideas. If your hand doesn't go up, you're not at the second staff meeting. I try to make them aware of the consequences of not mastering basics. Right. And not wanting to take the risk. Yeah. Oh, but I just want to be an influencer or a content creator. And I says, how are you going to create content? Right. Yeah. You've got to have the ideas. Yeah. The. Yep. And a lot of times those ideas have to be novel because of the competition, right? Yep. And that goes right back to your best ideas are going to come out of your own lived experience. I love that. Yeah, until you realize that all the biases and perceptions come out of the lived experience, too. This is true. It's a two-edged sword. We talk a lot about that, um, kind of the inherent biases and things that people come in with affecting how they, well, how they perceive things, but how they work through things, too. Yeah. Wilkins talks to the importance of a strong alumni network, including who's paying attention to your work, particularly around writing. Um, Jason McBain, who was here for a long time and was also a sports information director. Uh, Rachel George, who USA unwisely laid off and is now writing for Sports Business Journal to cover the next Olympics and that stuff. I brought all these people in. And they're telling them everything that I've been telling them, mm -hmm. you know. And the one thing that Jason said that really resonated with me 
is you don't understand. When you get out into the professional world, people are always watching you. Yeah. And that is the key to advancement. He says the two jobs he's had since he left Manus didn't come because he applied to them. He was invited to apply because someone had been watching what he was doing at Bonaventure mm. when he was running our sports info. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, and there seems to be a lot more of that networking via someone seeing your work rather than application. Yeah, and then there's the problem of, you know, interviews for internships and their first job and their try to trade them for that um, but sometimes it sticks and sometimes it it doesn't and then some of these interview processes begin with online AI driven interviews which drives me absolutely nuts right and then the HR people I deal with who are doing reference checks they're young and they're working from a list of questions usually six and they're not getting what they ought to be getting. So the questions are not oh. geared toward what they really need to no. know. They're pre-screening questions, and they're terrible. <laughs> Should how there be a course on how to write questions? Yeah. <laughs> how to ask better questions? Yeah. <laughs> I would have thought over 30 years that would have changed what questions we're asking about people in the workforce. No. You haven't seen that change at all? No. When they, usually they got to go through a screening. Sometimes it's AI, and then it's HR, and then usually a Zoom or a FaceTime interview. Uh, they're rarely in-person interviews these days. It boggles my mind. Would you like to see my Bible? <laughs> Too much, and read this thing. What's it called again? The Careful Writer, out of print. You might be able to pick it up for four dollars and twenty-two cents if you Google it. Nineteen seventy-three. But this is where my my desire to make distinctions in words comes from. I tell students, "Do you use begin and start interchangeably?" Yeah, there's no difference. I says, "Yeah, I can do thirty minutes on the difference." <laughs> that that piece of paper under my picture over there is a poem that the the wife of my my editor in chief wrote about the difference between begin and start. And a lot of the that nuances of language that the AP, which is now run by a committee, this style book, drives me crazy. So do you use the AP style book still? Yeah. Yes. But I like this, the careful writer. Yeah. A modern guide He's to English. Another book. From a nineteen seventy three guide to language skills to the power of questioning and the power of words, Dr. Denny Wilkins makes a concise argument that although writing has evolved, technology, more resources, back to basics is really the way to go. Thank you for listening to CA Today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to access the show notes and links for additional resources. If you have any comments, feedbacks, or suggestions for future episodes, please access the feedback form in the show notes as well. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to CA Today, and we hope to see you soon.